guess who are the worst people in our culture today? Abusers. Registered sex offenders. So how, how should we feel? Look at me. Happy. If someone is ready to own their sin and cling to Jesus, we love it when they walk through these doors. Complicated, yes. Joyful, for sure. As we dive into this topic, we can't just speak to those who have been hurt, but also to those who have hurt. What does God say to you, to us? It kind of makes me think of this guy that I know who's in prison. Uh, a guy who saw us on TV and who's been writing me letters for quite a while now. So buddy, if you're watching out there, how's it going? Thanks for your letter. Thanks for the gift you actually sent to my kids, uh, to my daughters. This is a guy that I've gotten to know uh, simply through the mail, and I've come to know him as a man who loves Jesus, as a man who's trying to change his life, as a man who laments the, the parts of his past, and a man who, if the legal system allows him, when he gets free, he wants to come here and sit next to you and worship Jesus at your side. Which is great, right? But early on, after we started dialoguing, I, I jumped online and I looked up his legal history. And that's when I saw the words felony, assault of a minor repeated. And I realized that my friend had committed abuse, uh, perhaps of the worst kind. And that legal record really made me think for a second, what do I want for my friend? Do I want him to come here? Knowing that this is the, the pattern of his past, not just a one-time mistake, but a, but a pattern of behavior, would, would I want him to attend the church where my daughters are growing up? Those of you that I care about so deeply, would I want him to sit next to you, to be in your life group, to do life with you? What if he relapses? What if he sins? What would happen then? <laughs> it made me wonder what Jesus would do. As all these people are crowding around our Savior and there's men and women and children, people who've been traumatized in their life, and, and then someone like that appears on the fringes. When Jesus would make eye contact, what would he say? Follow me? Or would he say something different? That's what I want to talk about today. If my friend is, is watching, or those of you who are incarcerated right now and you're looking for a church home when you're released, what, what would God say to you? And for those of you who are free and abuse is part of your past or maybe even your present, what would God say to you? Well, today we're going to dive into the, the deep waters of that question and we're going to find that four, four things that God wants us all to look at. Four things that make every Christian church the safe, gospel-centered, 
life-changing place that our Father always intended it to be. So whether or not you've committed the sin of abuse, grab a pen, because here's the first thing I want you to look at. First of all, I want you to look at you. Our Father in heaven wants you to look at you. To stand in front of his word and to think deeply about the way that you treat other people. Because depending how you grew up and where you grew up, how your dad treated your mom and your mom spoke to your dad, depending what your grandparents were like or your uncle, depending your relationships and what they've looked like, when I say abuse, you might not know exactly what that is. Some things that would be shocking to other families might seem normal in your family. And so I want to ask you a whole list of, of questions, and I want you, just in the quietness of your own conscience, to look at you. All right, here are the questions. Do you seem to have a pattern of behavior where you end up furious or angry? Is your anger and your outbursts often connected to those moments when you lack control of a situation? When you feel out of control and angry, do you express that anger by insults, name-calling, threatening looks, or physical acts? You ever punch the wall with your fist? Smash dishes in the kitchen? You ever grab someone's wrist so they couldn't leave the room or, or block the way so they couldn't get past you? Have you ever kicked, hit, or thrown a pet? You ever raised a fist or behaved in such a physical way that people cowered in your presence? When you're angry, do people walk on eggshells around you? Do they change their plans or change their mind just to appease you and talk you off that ledge? Are you concerned that what happens in your home might be found out by other people? Does your husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend have to ask you for every dollar and every cent because you control the finances? Have you ever used biblical words like honor your parents, forgive your enemies, love one another, or submit to your husbands to get what you want? Have you ever threatened to hurt yourself if someone would call the cops or leave you? Have you ever tried to convince your significant other that to love and forgive means they can't tell anyone what's happening in your home? Friends, these are just some of the questions that are asked on the official websites that describe abuse. And so if that's your pattern of behavior, whether it seems normal or not, whether your mom or your dad did it or not, that is abuse. And I need you to see that because God hates that. Check out this passage from Psalm 11. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, God hates with a passion. Look at yourself and repent.
Stop hiding. Stop blame shifting. Stop saying it was the alcohol, the stress. If you wouldn't have, if the kids wouldn't have, own it. Repent of it. Look at yourself and change. That's the first thing God needs you to see. And if you see that, here's the second thing you should do. Secondly, look at him. Look at Jesus. Even if every one of the questions that I just asked slapped you right in the conscience, you should look at Jesus. Because friend, if you are alive and breathing, that means that Jesus is waiting. If you still have breath in your lungs, it means your time of grace has not ended. It means there is a chance for you eternally if you look at Jesus. And I brought the proof. These guys. I know it's probably hard to see you way in the back. This is my Jesus action figure that I keep in my office. And this is one of the 12 men that Jesus chose to be in his inner circle. When our Savior, the Son of God, came down from heaven, he picked his own small group, hand-selected them, and there were only 12. And guess what this guy was? Let me show you from Matthew chapter 10. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The zealots hated the fact that the Roman government had control in Israel, and so they used fear and force. They were first century terrorists to get that control back. They were violent men, famous for hiding daggers in their cloaks and showing up in crowds of people and stabbing their enemies so there could be no witnesses and they could escape. And when Jesus had to pick a person to follow him, guess who he picked? That guy. Simon wasn't too much of a threat to Jesus' reputation. He wasn't so dangerous that he wanted to keep him away from Bartholomew and Thaddeus. Jesus looked at Simon the Zealot, a man with a history of violence, and he said, follow me. <laughs> and if that's not enough proof, read the Bible. Do you know the name of the guy who wrote half of the New Testament? Paul. Do you know one of the defining sins of Paul's past? I'll let Paul tell you. First Timothy chapter one. Paul said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Friends, if Simon the Zealot can be saved, if Paul, a violent persecutor of the church, can be saved, then despite the abuse of your past, you can be saved too. If you turn to Jesus, 
If you let go of the idol of control that led you into such violent acts, you can be saved. Because when Jesus went to the cross, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I love this picture from one of my favorite Christian artists. He drew a picture of Jesus on the cross and covering Jesus are the names of people from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, this reminder that God put my sins and your sins and not just small sins, but the greatest sins on the shoulders of Jesus. This church exists because of the grace of God. And there's forgiveness for you too. So look at yourself and then look at Jesus and you will be safe because you will be saved. And if you do that, here's the next thing I want you to do. Third, I want you to look at them. I want you to look at the people in our world and especially our local community who can help you change. Here's the truth that many of you know. Uh, change is hard. If you have a, a pattern of behavior, it's hard to change. When you're angry that you can't control a relationship or a situation, you might have years, decades of doing the same thing, and it's hard to change. And if you're hurting people because you were hurt by other people, if this sin doesn't just go back a few conversations but a few generations in your family tree, you will need help to change. There is hope, but the truth is you need help. What many abusive people would love to do is keep this quiet. You know, maybe you can work it out with your girlfriend. Maybe she can keep you accountable. Maybe your husband or your wife can make sure you stay on the right path, but friend, it, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You need help. Not from inside of your home, but outside of it. And so look at them. In your program today, or if you're watching online, there's a list of great resources that we put together so that you could look at them. From your pastors, to local nonprofits, to national websites, to, to good books, there are people that can help you change. And reaching out and confessing this sin, <laughs> it might be the hardest thing you've ever done. But man, I, I hope you do it. I was thinking earlier today when I was getting ready for this message that some of you, some of you could be the first person in your family tree in generations to get help. Some of you, if you have the humility and the courage, you could break chains that have gone back to generations you've never met or even remembered. I mean, for some of you, this could be the moment. Like, this message could be the time that you come out of the darkness and into the light and God changes your family for generations to come. You're just doing what your dad did, what your mom did, and they were doing what, what your grandparents did to them, but you could be the first one to stop it, to change it, 
to chop down that rotten tree and start something beautiful and fruitful that will bless generations that you might not ever meet. And so, man, I'm hoping and I'm begging and I'm praying that you reach out for help. This could be the moment. I've seen right here at this church people who came from toxic, dysfunctional families and they confessed it and they got help and they got counseling and things changed and now they're amazing parents and relationships have healed and and things are different. It, It can happen and it can happen for you. So come on, this is the moment. After church, when you get into the car, you, you open that up, you look for that website, you make that call, you text your pastor, this, this is your moment, it doesn't get easier than this. I'm throwing you a slow pitch, look at them. There's hope. But you need help. So get help. And you'll find hope. brings us to the last thing I want to say to you today. Yes, look at you. Yes, look at Jesus. Yes, look at them. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Brothers and sisters, look at me. I'll give you a second to write that down then put down your pen and look at me. If you've committed the sin of abuse, I am so happy that you're here. You know, some of us Christians, we love reading those stories where tax collectors and prostitutes and the worst of the first century people came to Jesus. Guess who are the worst people in our culture today? Abusers. Registered sex offenders. So how how should we feel? Look at me. Happy. If someone is ready to own their sin and cling to Jesus, we love it when they walk through these doors. Complicated, yes. Joyful, for sure. So look at me. I'm happy you're here. It it took courage to come here. It takes courage to address this. So if you have been abusive and, and you're still here, thank you. And while you're looking at me, please know that as we welcome you with open arms, we do so with wisdom. That if I find out that abuse is part of your story, how we love you and include you here at our church might be a little bit different. And actually, if you think about it, that makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? If abuse is part of your past, if you've been severely tempted to hurt people just to maintain power and control, and you own that and repent of that, will we be happy that you're here? Yes. Will we let you work in the children's ministry? We will not. Will we run a background check on you? We will. And if your parole officer says you have certain stipulations, will we follow them? We will. Will our church leaders meet to make sure that we can keep not just you safe, but every person, man, woman, and child at this church? Yes. Will we come up with a personalized plan to make sure that happens? Yes. Will some of you like that? No. Do I care that you don't like that? No. Because someday when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to have to ask how I protected his little sisters. 
and his little brothers. And I love you, but that love has an asterisk. Love is wise. Love is conscientious. Love is not naive. And so it will be different as we welcome you with love. (laughs) And if that feels unfair to you, like a little bit controlling, that's actually the point. See, if there's one thing abusive people have in common is that they need to control situations. So if I'm really going to be sure that you don't want to be controlling anymore, what's the best way to do it? To take away control. To force you into a pattern of church membership that you really don't like and you'll have to humble yourself and submit to someone that is not your own heart. And if you do that, then I can be sure and we can be sure that you really do want to change. This is biblical, by the way. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Kind of makes me think of uh, this guy I met in jail a few years ago. Uh, One of our members was doing some Bible studies in jail. He told me about this man and uh, we met in like the, the bowels of the prison, no windows, just dark concrete walls. And when he was released, he tried to go back to his old church and they said, mm, not going to happen. And so he knocked on the doors of this church and he asked, could it happen? Some of you were here when we wrestled with that decision. We knew that his sin was serious, it involved underage people, and our church was filled with underage people. And I can't remember in my six years if there's been any decision that we have made where we prayed more and discussed more when agenda after agenda of the church council where we reached out to national experts and contacts and lawyers and police officers and parole officers and in the end, we said, you can be welcome at our church if it was my job to bring the decision of our church to this man. Uh, We asked him to, to humble himself publicly to confess his sin in front of our entire congregation. To be absolutely accountable so everyone knew what he had done. And when I showed him the list, do you know what he said? I'd love to. Pastor, it keeps me accountable and it's better for the church. That was four or five years ago. Do you know where that guy is now? Here. And last Sunday, he showed up for the sermon on abuse. And afterwards, we we talked and laughed and exchanged jokes and faith. I saw a man who's different, changed, a man who's discipling his son in the Christian faith. Because there's hope for me, for you, for him, for us. 
So if abuse is part of your story, look at yourself and repent. Look to Jesus and find forgiveness. Look at them and get help. And look at me. We're happy you're here. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and under our church's leadership, and we will lift you up in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you that you forgive things that this world doesn't. There are certain sins that some of us have committed that if our, our neighbors do, they wouldn't give us a second chance. And God, you didn't give us a second chance, you gave us your one and only son. I thank you today that grace is truly unconditional love. I thank you that we are saved not by the works that we do or the lives that we live, but as a free gift at the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray right now, Heavenly Father, for wisdom as a leader in this church and for all the people who lead in this church. <laughs> I pray for every pastor, ministry leader that's watching that we would not do the easy thing and give abusers an automatic no or an automatic yes, but we would do the hard work of welcoming them with love so that everyone can be safe. And for the message of the gospel, more and more people can be saved. I especially pray right now, Heavenly Father, for my, my brothers who are listening to this, watching this in prison. Many of them write to me, God, and only you can change their hearts. Humble them and help them find something way greater than power and control in the fact that they are your sons through faith in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, produce in them gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control, and love. That the statistics can start to change in some small way among us and in our families. Once again, Father, for those who are carrying the wounds of abuse, I pray that this message would give them more hope to know that they can continue to find healing here as we take the sin so seriously and we take your love seriously too. Thank you, God, for this moment. I pray that in some small or miraculously big way that you would change people through it. Ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you or someone you know is suffering from abuse, please go to timeofgrace.org backslash abuse to find more resources and information for getting help. Do you find Jesus really interesting, but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your heart and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, it's not AP Bible, and it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy. People everywhere are stressed to the max. They're mentally exhausted and emotionally drained. Not to mention that so many of us carry around baggage from our past hurts and mistakes. But there is hope. Along with his word, God gives us knowledge and tools that we can utilize to cope with our mental health. A guide to mental and emotional wellness a new book by licensed Christian marriage and family therapist, Dr. Jennifer Lundgren, pairs biblical wisdom, practical principles, and clinical insight to help you recover peace, joy, clarity, and purpose. Throughout this book, you'll find examples and reflection breaks to help you go deeper and apply what you learn to your mental health and spiritual wellness. 
and in turn, empower you to shine with Jesus' light, to support your neighbors and serve your communities. A guide to mental and emotional wellness is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours today by visiting timeofgrace.org or write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. Do you need prayer? Contact us and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.